0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast. With the 2020 Formula 1 season finally getting underway this Sunday in Austria, I thought it would be a perfect time to chat to uri Kamer, co-author of the book Formula X. This book examines the ways in which a Formula 1 team is run and how some of the leadership and organizational structures used by Formula 1 teams can help you better run your business. Whether or not you're a Formula 1 fan, I'm sure you cannot fail to be impressed by its incredible innovation and efficiency, whether that's through the engineering, the two-second pit stops, or the worldwide logistics of getting the teams from one race to another. And I also think there's plenty to learn from the way every detail is managed to perfection, all within an environment of extreme pressure and competition. So in this podcast, Ann reveals some novel ways to accelerate decision making.
1: It makes sense to distinguish between uh, reversible and irreversible decisions. And often we treat every decision as an irreversible decision. We want to be perfect, we want to be right. We want to make sure we don't make a mistake when we make a decision, which actually slows us down. Gives valuable insight into team management but it's really about creating this ultimate sense of, of what is the thing that we're trying to achieve here for the world or for the customer and what is the best team configuration that will get us there.
0: And discusses some interesting techniques for optimizing the rhythm of your meetings and organization.
1: What I would really like to encourage is that we all learn facilitation skills and we rotate the role of facilitator that holds the structure and the time box and the effectiveness of the meeting.
0: Let's get on with the show. Julian, thank you for joining me as a guest on this week's episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks for having me. As an avid Formula One fan, I've been so excited to have you on this podcast since Oliver from the Evolve team interviewed you about your book, Formula X, How to Run Your Business Like a Formula One Team. So for the benefit of the listeners that perhaps not such avid Formula One fans as you and I, what makes Formula One such a challenging environment and
1: sport? well Formula one is a huge worldwide business so it's both a business and a sport it involves ten teams that are going to drive uh, on twenty two races uh, over the course of nine months and in this uh, in this season they they are trying to outpace each other uh obviously on the track trying to win the race but also in terms of trying to uh, innovate faster than the competition and for me as a Organizational change agent, I think that's a super interesting example because it's in some ways very similar to what we see businesses do when they're trying to compete in the open market.
0: Yeah, it's a very dynamic and challenging environment that they work within uh, under extreme pressure, don't they?
1: Yeah, it's extreme pressure. It's, it's clear to everyone that there's like hundreds of millions of viewers. So, so if something goes wrong, everybody sees it both inside and outside of your organization. And, um, yeah, it's really a matter of, uh, of, of seconds and milliseconds winning or losing a race. So everything has to come together during the race. Everything has to click. All the parts that have been built have to, have to work together as this one big performing machine. And yeah, that, that makes it an interesting sport. Um, on top of that, these teams are actually pretty big. Uh, not, not a lot of people know that that most teams are roughly between 500 and 1,000 people, which also makes it the largest team sport in the world.
0: Wow. I mean, that's incredible when you stop and think about it, isn't it? When you watch it on TV, you see two drivers. You might see a team in the pits of 20 to 30 people, yeah. in, including the management mm-hmm. uh, and the owners and the directors. But to think there's those huge teams behind them supporting them. Yeah. Um and they've all got to come together, haven't they, on that day uh, for that race
1: to perform? Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, all the teams are are innovating uh, like crazy. So on average, they make about a thousand changes per week to, to each car. And uh, whenever you bring an innovation to the track, uh, your competitors will be able to see it because all the teams are spying on each other. They, they've hired photographers to take a look at the other, other team's car and how it's developing. And when they see something on track that might be interesting, they immediately try to send that back to the factory and they immediately start experimenting uh, to see if it works on their car too. Brilliant.
0: I mean, it's just, yeah, it's an incredible sport of high excitement with so much risk and reward, isn't it? Um, I understand that you've got your own philosophy, uh, FASTA, which was developed as a result of spending some time with Red Bull. And we'll, I'd like to come on, really discuss in depth that faster acronym in a moment. Sure. But what was it like to really get an insight from, you know, the inside in that time you spent, with Red Bull of the workings of a Formula One team.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was watching Formula One just as a spectator uh, every Sunday afternoon, every two weeks for for years, but but never quite looked at it from the organizational lens and the business lens. But when I was uh, invited to to join a group of leaders to to go behind the scenes of the Red Bull Racing uh, factory, I, I got a taste of of the whole thing, and it, just being there, I saw the size of it and the amount of steps and work involved to create the, the, the racing car. And that blew my mind. And when you, when you look deeper, you, you saw, you, you got a taste of their culture. You saw some, some of their inner workings, their leadership practices. And uh, yeah, that just uh, sparked a whole new angle of my uh, Sunday afternoon.
0: Yeah, just to have seen it from the inside, when you sit there in front of your telly, it just must give you a different perspective. And just before we get again go on to talk about faster. It'd be interesting just to th- talk to you about Red Bull as a brand. Mm-hmm. Was when you were there, did it feel like? Because obviously, Red Bull is this global conglomerate, you know, based around the energy drink, but supports so many businesses and 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 sponsors so many different sports mm-hmm. and events. Do you, just I'm just interested to understand. Do you think that it's a Red Bull philosophy put on into a Formula One
1: team? Or do you think it's a Formula One team sponsored by a drinks brand? Well, that's a good question. I think it's more—it's much more than just a sponsor. the The team, the team in Milton Keynes has a longer history. So before it was Red Bull, um, I think at one point it was Jaguar, and before that it was something else. So the people that worked there definitely, you know, have been part of that team long before it became Red Bull Racing. Um, but when Red Bull Racing started uh, to to kind of, t- they b- basically bought the team. Uh, actually, they have two teams, right? They have both Red Bull and AlphaTauri, which was Toro Rosso last year. So they actually sponsor two teams and have two uh, two factory teams. What What you see is a is a mindset around adventure. What you see is a is a mindset around youth, right? They take risk by bringing in very young drivers and see uh, how they perform, and it actually has okay. uh, has helped them a lot with Max Verstappen, obviously my uh, uh, my fellow country, countryman uh, from the Netherlands. So yeah, it is, it is definitely a different kind of. Uh, of F1 team. If, if you compare it to to Ferrari or Mercedes or, or, or Renault, for example, those are obviously much much more focused on the on the technology side of creating relevant technology for their car business. While for Red Bull, it's more about creating a good narrative, a nice story, uh, and being adventurous. So what I like about Red Bull is that they also are much more open. Uh, they produce lots of content and cool videos on their website, so you can actually take a look uh, behind the scenes uh, without needing to go to Milton Keynes.
0: Okay. Interestingly, we're already taking a slightly different path at the start of this podcast, but something you mentioned there is you're obviously your uh, fellow compatriot, uh, Max Verstappen, who I think, was, was he 18 when he joined the team?
1: I think his first race was 17. He was 17. Wow. He didn't even have his car. He wasn't allowed to drive a car on the road. Uh, when he was already having his Formula One uh, race. Uh, so yeah, he's the youngest F1 race winner uh, of history. Hopefully the youngest so, world champion too, but we have to wait and see for that.
0: Uh, we'll come to that towards the end of the podcast. Going to ask for your predictions yeah. for the season. So, <laughs> um, but what I'm interested in there is, you know, he was 17. So this team of, a, you know, 500, 1,000 people are putting their reliance on a 17-year-old. Yeah. And, and, and then in, if you relate that to business, generally in business, we people progress through the steps and ladders of an organization and they're not putting that point of responsibility at a young age. How do you think businesses can learn from, because, you know, Max isn't the only young driver that comes into Formula One. It's become more and more frequent and often, and, and obviously that's supporting and buying into the talent. How do you think businesses can learn from that philosophy?
1: Yeah, I think I think a couple of things. So even though Max was very young, he already had 12 years of race experience, right? He also started very young. His father being a former F1 driver, Josef Stappen, he coached him from from, you know, he was in a race. I think he was in a cart when he was 4 or 5 years old. So this this person, you know, Max is very already quite experienced, um showed his raw talent and um what what that tells me is that is that businesses shouldn't you know, when you hire new personnel, maybe not focus too much on the on the traditional credentials, but focus on what this person could bring to your culture that is currently missing. Right, Max is very adventurous. He takes uh, risks. He um he has a specific style which you can't find in the older drivers right now. And even the older drivers obviously in F1 aren't that old. Um uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know
0: it's still usually in their 20s aren't they? And and, and and driver in their early 30s is
1: old. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know um experience is not always is not always good, right? You, it brings if you if you hire a person for your organization, that person, you know, it's useful to have certain experience, but it also brings certain assumptions, and it sometimes maybe stifles innovation to um, to get somebody with 15 years under their belt. They're just going to try what they what they know, and maybe instead, maybe you could take some risk and and hire a younger person and take a fresh perspective to to whatever problem you're trying to solve. Definitely, yes, yeah. So,
0: yeah. Somebody that's had their career in you know corporate world is just going to bring their same old philosophies to the table, aren't they? With somebody new that's had some interesting experience. Like yeah. you say, I think that it's great. Yeah. I think you put that in context. Somebody with, with that's had some unique or different experience, brings a different perspective to your business and your organization
1: yeah i was thinking about also the esports at the moment right with with covid the the drivers weren't weren't able to to race for for four months uh the the season was on pause and uh starting only in a few weeks from now and you saw the the young drivers picking up on the the virtual racing a lot and uh it, it made them connect to their to their audience uh you could follow them live while they were training and they took it very seriously they spent like 40 50 60 hours a week in their in their simulators and then did a race on sunday so it is the, it is actually also tapping into the new generation it, it teaches the it teaches the traditional f1 world a lot of lessons about how to create viewer engagement for example
0: yeah no it's definitely certainly does so in your book formula x you discuss the organizational model that formula one teams use and you explain how to apply these same ideas to your organization um as I referred to earlier, you explain this model really simply using an acronym called Faster. Do you mind just explaining to our listeners what the Faster model consists of? Because clearly there's there's six elements as you see it, isn't there?
1: For sure, yeah. The subtitle of the book is "How to Reach Extreme Acceleration in Your Organization," so it's really a, a business fable focused on anything you can do in your organization to make things faster. The book actually is a business. F- yeah, it's a fable. So it's a story. There's no, it's not a thick theoretical book. It actually, you follow the the, the head person who's trying to, to accelerate his ability to get values. At, to, so it, yeah, I'll, I can t- say a little bit about it. So you follow the owner of a kitchen factory he he's trying to improve the way they work internally so that he can bring their kitchens faster to their customers um, so that's about 80 or 70 80% of the book is a, is a story that you follow a change journey of this uh, of this organization and then towards the end we have the faster model which is in in six simple uh, chapters explained some of the theoretical takeaways and some of the practical things you can try now that kind of this drives from the book so it is an acronym yeah. the f stands for focus and clarity so you can. So one of the lessons is that if you want to go faster, it makes sense to be clear where you want to go, right? Um, if you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't matter if you're going to speed up because you're not ending, ending up where you want to be. So creating a, a clear and inspiring goal that works as a compass throughout the organization is, is what the F is all about, the focus and clarity bit. Often we don't really know what is the ultimate goal that we're trying to achieve here. And how would you recommend
0: that an organisation sets and communicates a clear and inspiring goal, Uri-Ann? Yeah,
1: so any organisation has its goals, but there's different different levels of it. I would say that, so. The, the the thing that we uh, we teach a lot when we work with clients is something called essential intent, where we try to describe the purpose of the organisation in a way that it's clear what we're trying to achieve in three to five years from now, and those that that is a, a long enough. Uh, timeline that allows you to be a little bit ambitious and, and create an inspiring outcome, uh, a, a nudge that you want, a dent in the universe, uh, but it's also not 100 years vision, right? So so it is actually very relatable to what I can do every day. Um, so when we do this essential intent work, we try to ask leaders like, hey, if you want to describe what tangible, observable outcome you you want to have in three to five years from now, what are they? What is essential? Yeah. And that, you know, the, the we want it to be Clear enough so that if I work in that organization and I walk into the door and I read this one page document, I'm like, "Ah, I kind of get how my work contributes to it, and if it doesn't contribute to it, well then maybe you have a conversation about it like, hey, what you know for some reason, what I'm doing or the project I'm on doesn't really feel like it's essential, so maybe we can deprioritize it or change it and it's quite
0: interesting, isn't it, because in a workforce that's more you know teams that come together in organizations that are more transient than they've ever been. Sometimes when you see organizations and businesses set that kind of 15, 20 year goal, yeah. the, the teams don't relate to it because they're thinking what well, I'm here for the next three to five years. Yeah. So three to five year goal setting and being really clear and inspiring about what that is. I can see how that 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 can really work and can inspire the team that are there and then and present in that moment.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. and And then you can you can find. Uh, so that you can do that for the whole organization, but then it makes sense to do that also on the team of teams level or department, departmental level. Like if that is the ultimate goal in the next three to five years for the whole organization, what is the contribution we as a subgroup are going to make to that? And what are our essential elements that enable that bigger, uh, to unlock that bigger vision?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So we then move on to A. Yeah. A
0: stands for?
1: Accelerate decisions. Uh, so very often when we met, ma- decision making is a very big bottleneck in, in, in many organizations. Uh, uh, in, in some places it, it's hard to make a decision. It takes many meetings. It takes, uh, groups to come together, uh, to, to, to try to make a decision. And there, are, there are many different techniques to accelerate decision making. And one of the techniques, uh, that we describe in the book is that it makes sense to distinguish between, uh, reversible and irreversible decisions. And often we treat every decision as an irreversible decision. We want to be perfect, we want to be right. We want to make sure we don't make a mistake when we make a decision, which actually slows us down. And if if you apply this correctly, um you'll just try out your decisions more often because if they are reversible, why don't why don't we just make more decisions and evaluate them so that actually we learn about what are the right decisions to make.
0: And and that is a philosophy that you see that it applies to formula 1 teams as well
1: yeah for sure i mean the a lot of the decision making in f1 teams are are within split seconds are 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 leaning towards well let's try it out we'll know next race if it is going to improve us or set us back so there's lots of progress uh, focus instead of perfection focus they they don't they, their speed is so fast that they they don't have time for you know, to wait for three or four board need- meetings to make a decision, uh, it has to go faster. And one thing that also is very helpful, and which you also see in F1 teams, is that it makes sense to to define uh, the decision rights of certain teams and roles. Um, so to be explicit and deliberate about what is it that this team or or role can decide without needing approval from anybody else. And when decision rights are clear in an organization, things go. By themselves as well, because you, you reduce the amount of decisions that you need uh, alignment on with others. Because you know people are just making their decisions day to day, and you can see this in a pit box. So if if the if a car comes back from, for example, a practice or a qualifying session, it will drive in drive into the uh, the, the garage. Um, people will just automatically start working on it. There's there's a there's predefined roles and responsibilities, and people know that when the car comes in, my job is to remove the right front wheel, clean the brakes, inspect this and this and this, and then I make an autonomous decision to replace a certain part. I don't need approval from a manager to do that. Uh, All all the teams are just working from their their irrespective roles and, and decision rights.
0: And that's quite interesting, I think, for a lot of our kind of listeners on this podcast, because many are, you know, the business leaders, perhaps, you know, working within a owner-managed entrepreneurial environment. And actually, one of the challenges that we see in in our clients are that actually they, being owner-managed, all of the decisions defer to them. Yeah. So it was interesting to see what you say there about the acceleration of decision making and giving people the responsibility to make decisions. Yeah. It's that. It's that leap of faith, isn't it? But it's clearly defining what can and can't be done. And so people have that feeling of autonomy and authority to just get on and do do their job and, and do it in the best way they can and make progress.
1: For sure, yeah.
0: Definitely. So moving
1: on to S. Yeah, the S is for simplify. And we, we talk a lot about reducing organizational drag. So larger organizations are are being strangled by huge amount of bureaucracy and rules and, and processes in place that were, that were most likely been put in place for a very good reason at one point in time. So maybe there was uh, a mistake or maybe there was a problem. And then what's the default response when something happens that's out of order? Well, management says like, we need to make sure that this never happens again. So what happens? We put a rule in place or we put a procedure in place or maybe some kind of approval process. Uh, And now for for the next unlimited, you know, indefinite, basically for infinity, whenever something happens, we need to go through this process to prevent that one little mistake from happening.
0: That's a really interesting philosophy and principle. But how do you actually implement simplification? Because so many businesses have so much red tape, processes, systems. And, you know, that's great. It sounds, you know, it sounds... Like a utopia type environment, yeah, Yuri-Ann. But how do you actually simplify
1: so there 's multiple ways to do it uh, One of the things we 've done with with a, with, a, with a very large client is we created a, a bounty hunt for bureaucracy, so what happens is we we asked people and teams in the organization to come up with um, with processes and rules that are that are in their way that just basically slow them down the most. And ask them to uh, to come up with an alternative way to to meet the concerns of that specific process. Maybe, maybe it can be safely removed. Maybe it can just be we just stop doing that specific thing and everything is still fine. Or maybe there is one or two things that this process is trying to prevent from happening that we can try to prevent from happening in an alternative way. In a way that is more based on trust and autonomy and, and giving people guidance other than some kind of slow process where, where there's waiting time and lag and drag that, that goes into it. So it's really about encouraging people in the organization to come up with improvements, to come up with alternatives for certain roles that are in their, best, in their way of doing their best work of their lives. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. And moving on. Next one is, is team engagement. Creating a team of teams with autonomy and ownership. Some of the things that we've talked about are are related, but it, it's useful to 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 look at what drives intrinsic motivation in any organization. And there's been uh, lots of great authors that that wrote about. Um, uh, for example, uh, Daniel Pink has has a good book called Drive, in which he dives into the the, the science of motivation in the workplace. And he discovered three ingredients that uh, that unlock intrinsic motivation in people. The, that is autonomy, mastery. And purpose. Purpose, we already talked about, right? If I if I uh, show up in the organization and I uh, understand what it is that I'm trying to contribute and it's something I care about, then people will definitely uh, show more motivation. Uh, autonomy and mastery are. are other factors that you can design your workplace for autonomy is about uh, that i'm actually able to decide to a certain extent how i'm going to do my job and how i'm going to uh, approach my work uh, and even better um, maybe maybe you can make the workplace a place where people can decide for themselves what is their work and what are the projects they want to energize and the mastery piece is really all about creating an environment where people can learn where people can get to mastery to specific skills that they they care about, and if you have those ingredients in place um you'll you'll have more energy and more motivation in the workplace
0: and i yeah, I can see and understand that yurian definitely, and I suppose that autonomy piece is about again back to goal and goal setting and being results focused as an organization and in your management structure focusing on results as much as about how you get there
1: yeah and it's also about enabling leadership it's about making sure people have the space to to make decisions themselves without being told what to do or without being micromanaged and obviously autonomy is just one aspect right if you you want autonomy within within a certain you want both autonomy and you want alignment right if you only have autonomy and all the people are just can decide whatever they want to do but it's unclear what we're together trying to achieve then you also not get anywhere so it's you see certain organizations, they understand they want both high autonomy and high alignment to get to fast innovation and fast output. Brilliant.
0: And I'm, I'm really interested just to have a quick conversation with you around this philosophy. And I've heard you mention it on, you've got a great YouTube uh, video around sort of some of this subject matter, but, and, and you've talked a lot about team of teams mm-hmm. and I suppose that really does come into play team engagement, isn't it? Is In most businesses, it's thought of as one team. But actually, you can break an organization down into many different teams. Yeah, And I suppose it's about, and you'll probably just, you'll come back and say it's about having that clear and inspiring goal. But how can you make sure that if you, you know, break the business down into lots of different teams, how they all remain kind of focused and aligned? And how do you kind of report and ensure that alignment is there?
1: Yeah, there, there's, there's multiple ways to do it. And it really depends on the, on the business problem or the specific market problem that you're trying to solve. But it, it is always useful to think of your organization in, uh, uh, in, a, you know, in the idea of that it is actually a team of teams. And it's, it's about understanding uh, what all the different teams individually have to do so we can together create this good outcome. Um, and this is a scaling problem. Right. So, um, if you're starting small, if you're a business with. 10, 15, 20 people, um, then it's still just one team. But as, as soon as you're going to hit 100 people or 150 people, you really have to start chopping up your organization to pieces. And there's obviously some downsides of that because there's the risk of creating silo mentality, uh, losing sight of the customer, lots of internal uh, things, waiting on each other. So you have to create a team of team structure without the down- downsides of traditional hierarchy and there's no one right right answer you have to figure out what's the, what's the right balance for your for your business so you see organizations pivot between um maybe a business unit focus uh or then a market focus and so you see you know going back and forth uh, but it's really about creating um this ultimate sense of of what is the thing that we're trying to achieve here for the world and for the customer and what is the best team configuration that will get us there
0: Okay, brilliant. So I think we're moving on to the letter E now. Yeah.
1: year ago. So yeah, my, my co-author is a physics teacher and a, and a, uni- a professor actually in the, of the University of Delft. And his chap- the chapter he wrote and he's very passionate about is elementary physics. So he says that we, we need to focus more on so, you know, if you go in the book, there's, there's a bunch of references to Newton, uh, Newton's law of physics and, and how, how it applies to businesses. One of them is that speed is actually relative. Right. So uh, I only have to be a little bit faster than my competition to be able to win the race. There's no need. So often when people read our book or or read about our book, they ask like, hey, is it is it really necessary to become faster for any type of organization? And my answer to that is, well, maybe not. Maybe it it really depends on your context and, and if there's if there's a need to go faster. And what we also also talk about is that it's useful to think more about acceleration. Right that we constantly try to speed up a little bit instead of focusing on speed in itself, because if you're if you go faster every every week every month, just one percent, then over time speed will is a result of that
0: okay, it's a consequence of yes, yeah, so success then comes yeah, I get that,
1: yeah, so how do we get constant acceleration is actually what we want to focus on, and that will in in the end make us a lot faster. We also talk about effectiveness versus efficiency. I believe that what was efficient a hundred years ago in our organizations is no longer uh, effective today. Often, uh, we, we focus on output per person, output per worker. Uh, we ask people to be in the office for 40 hours a week because then we assume that they are, effect- are effective. And, uh, we're really asking people to think about to let go of the efficiency metaphor and focus really on what is really effective here. What is really the thing that, that will help us? And if that's only one hour a week and uh, the rest of the week uh, people people do other stuff, maybe that is very effective, but it's not really efficient in the old terms. It's
0: interesting. So that's coming back as well to this kind of results-driven
1: organization. Yeah, yeah for sure. And then our final letter, letter R, yeah. stands for? It stands for rhythmic learning, uh, a cadence of recurring interaction moments. So F1 teams really understand Really well that it makes sense to have um, a good uh, meeting design, an operating rhythm, so to say, a heartbeat of the organization of interlocking conversations and gatherings of people that that you know creates the rhythm of learning of the organization. So, for example, over the, uh, after the race, uh, so a race is usually ninety to one hundred twenty minutes. After the race, there is a two-hour-long race debrief. That's uh, most of the time longer than the actual race. And this is just one of the 50 different meetings they have pre-planned over the course of a race weekend that focuses on learning what happened and trying to gather data and, and insights that will help them make faster during the next time. So if you think about how much time am I spending on executing versus learning, reflecting, designing improvements, it's usually... Uh, a small percentage uh, that people invest in that. And it's hard to get on the calendar. And it's like, oh yeah, do we really need to have that retrospective meeting or not? But the really high-performing teams, they have uh, a rhythm. Uh, they set the rhythm. They uh, they know that they reflect at least uh, once a month or once every two weeks, sit down for an hour. And that's that's the rhythm where conversations happen. And
0: how do they make sure that, you know, and a Formula One team, high-performing, they've got this nailed, I know, But taking that kind of learning back into a business environment, how can you make sure that those meetings are effective and they're not just a talking shop or management by committee, that they are effective, that does get an organization into this rhythmic learning philosophy?
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes uh, what is important is that every meeting has a specific purpose. So, what is the objective or the the reason of existence for this specific meeting? What is the conversation or is it a decision making meeting is it a is it a prioritization meeting is it um unblock the weekly work meeting what what is this type of meeting what is it about it's useful to have a clear purpose for each meeting and then design the meeting structure of that meeting accordingly. So if we are focused on weekly steering in our weekly action meetings, which is a meeting format that we had already uh, teach a lot, uh, then one of the, one of the uh, steps, recurring steps in that is that we, for five minutes together, look at the, at the metrics that are relevant for this week. Uh, So, so all the different steps uh, are, are pre-planned and pre- programmed. And we're continuously trying to, to reflect on that too. Like, is our meeting rhythm still serving uh, the purpose? Another very helpful and, and simple thing to do is to appoint a facilitator. Uh, for every meeting where uh, that not, may not necessarily be the 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 owner, quote unquote, of the meeting or the the highest in rank. Often we assume that the leader is going to be running the meeting. But what I would really like to encourage is that we all learn facilitation skills and we rotate the role of facilitator that holds the structure and the time box and the effectiveness of the meeting.
0: I love that idea. Yeah, I, that's what I'm going to take away with me. Definitely. I love that idea of having a facilitator that's different from that old adage and philosophy of having a chair of the meeting. Yeah. That usually is the most senior person in the room. Yeah. But create a facilitator that keeps the rhythm of that meeting in place and keeps it to time and and just make sure that it happens. And it would be a great skill set from more of the people in our organization uh, to learn and, and to be able to do that.
1: Yeah and imagine Brilliant. imagine you're the leader or the you know you're the leader of a team or, or or the the owner of a business how nice it is to not be able to worry about being the chair you can just participate yeah. as an equal participant give your input give your uh, thoughts while somebody else worries about hey are we still following the agenda are we still on time do we have to stop this digression and there's just this person that's going to you know that person has the uh, the additional role of trying to make sure that the meeting quality is high at the moment.
0: So really good for, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is getting ensuring that individuals play to their strengths. Yeah, I think, and actually that's a, that's a very simple principle and philosophy that would enable, you know, leaders and senior people within businesses to play to their strengths more and to contribute and add the value yeah. that they can add. For sure. Definitely. Just thinking about formula one, again. And, and coming back around to that kind of subject of, you know, the challenges within Formula One, um, when you think about it, a Formula One team, wherever they are on the grid, you know, they're high-performing teams, and they do everything they can to get peak performance out of their team members on a really consistent basis. And the top teams like Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes do that week in, week out in an environment that's full of stress mm-hmm. and actually – when the team members are usually away from home for a great part of the year. How do you think Formula One really does get that peak performance out of its individuals and team members?
1: it's yeah, a good question. It has many different angles. I think it, what really helps is that people are are honored to work in F1. They, they really want to work there. They really see it as a an opportunity they can it's a big attractor for talent right so they are magnets yeah, for talent they have lots of people that they can choose from they they are able to select the most passionate people in the in, in the in the market so that really helps and i think there's also there's also a lot of focus on on this mastery on using your skills to the fullest in order to win the race and it's it's also kind it's a very high-paced adrenaline rich environment so for some it's definitely not for everyone i wouldn't be one i, I don't want to be away for nine months a year uh, to be part of a race team uh but it is an attractor for some people for sure
0: yeah i suppose it, you're right it comes down to it is the pinnacle of you know for a lot of them in their careers and what they do it's the pinnacle to work for a formula one team isn't it there is that brand there there is that pride to work for an organization like that and therefore they they are the the committed individuals that will do whatever it takes yeah for their team and their yeah to succeed. I'm also interested just to touch on communication because mm-hmm. within Formula One it you know there is a diverse demographic of people there is a diverse geographical location to where they reside you know the, the team base you know maybe you know is in near Silverstone but mm-hmm. they're racing in Singapore over a weekend how do you think formula 1 teams succeed in getting that communication right and consistent across their team and organization
1: yeah it goes back to the rhythmic learning uh, lesson i think it's it's they they have really figured out what is a rhythm of meetings and a way of holding meetings that make sure everybody is is involved and informed so first first just to highlight maybe it's useful to understand that actually during the race Uh, They have a team of 40 to 50 people sitting in the uh, race uh, uh, factory in Milton Keynes, uh, and other F1 teams have this too. They're connected through headphones looking at all the data. So so they actually involve part of their uh, factory in the actual race. Um, so it's like an extended virtual team. And this team is also, when they're doing the race debrief, this team is also connected through headphones to listen to the drivers to, uh, so yeah, they, they are already overlapping their physical location between the race, uh, location and the factory location. But then on top of that, if you want to involve the other thousand or, or 1500 people that are involved in building your, uh, building your car, they have a Monday morning all hands debrief. So every Monday morning, uh, the team principal, when possible, flies back to the factory and addresses the whole team and uh, creates this atmosphere of ask us everything. And this is an important moment to, to create speed and agility because now if, if they, if they do a debrief and they explain everything that happened over the weekend, all the different challenges they faced, uh, the new things they've discovered about the car, maybe some, some specific challenges for the upcoming circuit that they need to tackle. This, the team principal explains it all. And every individual team or individual person there now fully understands the context in which, in which they're trying to work for. So for the next two weeks, you don't need to plan a meeting to figure out what i need to do or to ask for a decision or to to align something you already know what is the right thing to do and everybody has the same context so these autonomous teams now are now fully embedded and fully uh, living the the organizational or the business context of of the team and uh, yeah they can just go go and fix stuff
0: and i suppose um, this may may or may not be right but i suppose that they also sort of nurture this no-blame culture, don't they? So that people will ask everything and people will be open in their communication.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. And the the no-blame culture... If you look at some of the literature of the leadership in f1 uh is is actually a huge thing in any in any group of people when it grows above 100 or 150 people uh people start naturally start to th- think in us versus them because uh humans aren't able to to have personal relationship with over 150 people this is dunbar's number um so it's only in human nature to start blaming the other group or to you know, kind of to gossip about them and it's really the the job of the leaders in this organization to try to create this one team mindset where there's low blame involved uh and only if you have a no blame culture people were are willing and not scared to to push to the limits which is exactly exactly what you need in order to speed up in F1
0: yeah definitely and i know you know one of your passions is around communication of and again in that youtube video you talk about um google's communication methodology and a, a principle that they use of the tgif mm-hmm. uh, uh communication can you just explain that to our listeners
1: please yeah tgif stands for thank god it's friday it's their fun way to to name their their weekly Uh, Friday all hands meeting. I know recently they've been making a couple of changes to it, but for a long time, the idea was that, um, you know, even though Google is a, is an organization with hundreds of thousands of people these days spread all across the globe, there's this one meeting that everybody is. You know, able and willing to attend in which the leaders on stage answer the most relevant questions that the whole workforce has. So they have a system where people can, you know, put in a question and they can use voting to determine the most relevant question for this week. And that's going to be the agenda for the session. So leadership takes questions from the audience uh, through this visual, through this tool and um, just talks freely about what's happening in the business and what what are some of the things they want people to focus on. And we saw this practice in other organizations too. So I've researched quite a bit uh, how Spotify, for example, grew over the years. Yeah, their founder and CEO also every two weeks uh, sits on stage and talks with people openly about what's going on.
0: It's it's a very brave and um, collaborative way of working, isn't it?
1: It's brave. It's also humble and... um, the leaders who do this right, they also uh, show some vulnerability uh, because very often they will get questions that they don't really know the answer to, and instead of them trying to give a, you know, give a, a fake answer, instead uh, they just say, sit there and say, "Well, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Maybe if somebody knows, please tell me." And if we if it's important for us, let's find out. Um, so it's really a way for leaders to to model the behavior they want to see in their colleagues too. Brilliant.
0: I, I'm just speaking to you uh, today, and as part of this podcast. I, looking at your faster model, I know that you're a very opinionated that that old-fashioned command and control management style is such an outdated kind of model now. So, how should an established organisation, you know, listening to this podcast, listening to some of the principles that you've really clearly outlined for us? Yurian, so thank you for that. What are the first steps they should undertake to develop and evolve a new, better way of working?
1: Yeah, so if you want to improve your way of working, what I really believe in is something called participatory change, uh, the concept of uh, enabling your workforce to actually come up with ideas of how the organization can be improved when we work with clients we often hold the space where leaders and teams come together and talk about the question what is holding you back from doing the best work of your lives and if you go into this um, quite humble and open inquiry into your own inner workings of the teams then you discover because you're you know on a different level you have the ability to see Across teams, what's going on, and you discover and can unlock certain things that that might not get unlocked if you don't talk to your own people. I mean, with with traditional change management, the idea is to 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 you know come together um, with a group of people behind closed doors, sometimes with a consultant, and describe what is what should the new organization be. Then you do some sessions and roll it out of organization. Well, instead of doing that, I, I would like to turn the pyramid upside down and let people that are actually doing the work. Uh, come up with ideas of what can be better.
0: Brilliant, great first step. Hopefully, some of our listeners will, will implement that and start to make change happen. So, since 2017, you've been a partner in an organisation called The Ready, which design and transform partner-focused organisations to the around this subject of the future of work. Yeah. Therefore, would love to know from you how you think this current COVID crisis is going to impact the working environment and organizations going forward? Because clearly change is going to happen.
1: Yeah, for sure. We we are doing work with roughly 10 different clients at the moment. So we we have quite a lot of data across industries about what what different types of organizations are thinking about, how it will impact them. And I'm a very optimistic person. I think uh, what people are discovering for the first time in their lives is how effective you can actually be when you work from home, that, Uh you know, if you have kids, it might be different, uh, but many, many people discover that they're actually more productive while working from home. Also, they're discovering that they lack information, they lack context, they lack t- touch points. So there's more uh, need for being deliberate about how you communicate. And I think that's a big lesson for organizations right now. Like you cannot just sense what is going on by walking around in an office anymore. It is really useful to to spend more time on, to formalize uh, your communication, to formalize the way you do meetings, to be specific about when certain things are going to be decided. So that actually in between those moments, you, you free up space for people to just do work and get, get stuff done. I think that is what people are already sensing that when, you, when you're left alone and you don't have meetings and you have a clear objective, you can really uh, make a lot of progress. So that's one thing. I think it, it's also a really good opportunity to to start organizing from a place of trust since people are, you know, you cannot really look look over people's shoulders at the moment. So why not just go a little bit further with trusting them and letting them define their own work times, letting them define their own objectives uh, and using transparency to create a healthy system instead of uh, control.
0: Yeah, your faster model really comes into play in so many different ways, doesn't yeah. it, Yurian? I think so, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So let's end with a couple of Formula 1 questions. I think I've got the answer to the first. Um, I was going to ask you who your favorite current Formula One driver is and why.
1: Yeah, so Max Verstappen. Uh, it had
0: to be. <laughs> it has to be uh,
1: the only ever Dutch race w- race winner. He's creating a huge amount of um, following in the Netherlands. The Dutch army were called. Yeah. Unfortunately, Zandvoort race couldn't go on this year, but I definitely have tickets for the next three years already. So Brilliant. that's going to be a crazy fun race for sure. So yeah, and hopefully, I mean, he's starting the season starts in Austria. Uh, which which he won uh, the last two years, so who knows? Yeah,
0: so yeah, that's it. The season does start well next weekend on the 3rd to 5th of July at the Red Bull Ring. So mm-hmm. there you go, uh, and it's a great place for Max. So
1: obviously in Austria, what are your predictions there for, for this season ahead? Oh, that's such a difficult question. I you know again, my my optimist, my naive optimist says uh, this is a really good opportunity for for Max to win the title. Why? Because the rules haven't really changed that much and Red Bull has always been known for a really good, uh, continuous improvement on their, on their, on their, on their cars. So while some teams might be really focused on getting it right for the next big, huge rule change in 2021, Red Bull might be the, might be the team that's really focused on trying to grab the title. But at the same time, Lewis Hamilton is, you know, obviously the most talented uh, racing driver also in history and he's, he's, chasing uh, uh the world the world title for the seventh time which would be a uh, record beating schumacher so he's very eager to win this year too so and he has a great a great car um i don't know we have to wait and see it's gonna see. be an
0: interesting season for sure. i can't can't wait for the season to finally get underway it's gonna be great same here it's be awesome. so yuri it's been great to talk with you today um if our listeners do want to learn more about you how can they do that how can they connect with you
1: yeah, so uh, first name and last name together is on all social media platforms, yuriankamer.com or on Twitter or LinkedIn. And if you're more, if you're interested in the book, uh, you can uh, type in Formula X uh, in your favorite bookstore, uh, including Amazon and other places, uh, or you can go to www.formula-x.co.
0: Brilliant, Yurian. Thank you for being a guest on this week's Evolve to Succeed podcast. You're very welcome. Some amazing and inspirational insights there from uri There really was some novel ideas and philosophies around mindset, decision-making, communication and prioritising. And also maintaining that high level of focus and passion within your organisation. So whether you run a team of a few hundred or just a handful, I think there are some incredibly valuable ideas and lessons you can learn from the world of Formula One. I also really loved what he had to say about a no-blame culture which is something all good leaders should cultivate within their business. So if you haven't already done so, then please do visit evolvemembers.com where you're going to find some great content as well as information on peer groups, one-to-one coaching and events. We have a great and ever-growing community of like-minded individuals who really are reaping the benefits of support and networking that Evolve endeavors to provide. We've also got some great webinars lined up in the coming weeks and all that information can be found on our website evolvemembers.com or on our social media pages. I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast and if you haven't yet, please do click that subscribe button so you can get your weekly Evolve podcast delivered automatically to your device. We're constantly striving to bring you guests who provide new insights and value to you whether it's to do with your work life or your personal well-being. Thank you for listening and from all the Evolve team, we wish you a great week. And if you are a Formula One fan, enjoy the race this weekend. Thank you.